This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday at the end of October 2021, the 29th. It's scary. It's scary how time keeps elapsing. Uh, I'm just not used to it. Can you remember what happened last October? I can't even remember what happened last October, really. All I know is that last October I was thinking next year's going to be different. It's going to be better. And here we are, and I'm thinking the same thing again. But maybe it really will be different, Norman, because we're talking about booster doses where most of us are getting, uh, have already had two vaccine doses. When I say most of us, actually we are kind of more than halfway, at least nationally. And now we're looking at getting third doses of the vaccine. Yesterday we were saying that the Therapeutic Goods Administration had approved booster doses and then yesterday the government announced that, yes, the booster program was going to be going ahead. They've had advice from the Australian Technical Advisory Group on that. So we have got a lot of questions about boosters, Norman, but I might let you just give us a little bit of a primer on uh, what the ATAGI advice is all about. So the ATAGI advice is that they endorse booster doses They've clearly had a major discussion about this internally, although you never hear exactly what happened, but reading between the lines, they've had a major discussion about this and they've gone with the balance of evidence being four boosters and they reckon it'll get stronger as time goes on. So what they've approved is um, the highest priority groups for booster doses six months or after are people at greater risk of COVID-19. So individuals aged 50 and over, people with underlying medical conditions, residents of aged care and disability facilities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander adults. The prime aim there is to reduce the risk of severe COVID-19. And then for people at occupational risk, in other words, people at the front line, healthcare workers and so on, booster doses for them, and that's largely to prevent infection. That reflects the evidence that in those high-risk groups, you do get a diminution of protection against hospitalisation. In most people, the biggest effect is on infection. It doesn't deny it to other people. They're specific that it's not limited to those people, that those are the highest priority groups. And that lines up with the timeline. Like those are the people that got it the earliest. They're, they're the ones that are probably at the six month or more mark now. Most of us have gotten our vaccines just in the last few months. A lot of the over 50 year olds have two more recently. So, so the bulk of this group of people will not be eligible for boosters for another two or three months, probably. So Professor Paul Kelly, the chief medical officer, was saying that this isn't this is a booster. It's not part of the primary vaccination schedule. If you've got your two doses, you're considered to be fully vaccinated, but this is an extra layer of protection on top of that. Because yesterday we were talking about what this might mean for ma- uh, vaccine mandates. I think that'll change in time. What does it matter what I think? It's really what the experts think. If you were to um, look at Israel, really effectively in Israel, the booster has become part of the primary schedule in effect and is required for their vaccine passport. I think as time evolves, it will become part of that, but it's, it's, there's, there's not as strong an evidence base for it as you'd like, but it will go that way almost certainly. Atagi is a room full of really smart people. What sort of discussions are they having? What sort of things are they weighing up when they're making these decisions, Norman? They're, they're talking about safety. They're talking about effectiveness. They're talking about the evidence for booster shots, both at the laboratory level and at an epidemiological, at the population level. So in other words, is it safe to give a booster dose? Does it work in terms of giving a booster dose? And prior to that, you know, what's the evidence that you actually need one? Even in the United States, where they've approved booster doses, there's a lot of dis- a lot of debate about that. You have to assume behind closed doors in the tag, there's been a lot of debate about that too. I've got no particular insight into what actually happened in the room, uh, to use the Hamilton phrase, but mm-hmm. essentially they must have had that sort of debate. And their wording reflects that. In other words, 
They've got the wording looks as though they've gone with a balance of evidence towards bringing for boosters and the likelihood that that evidence will get stronger as time goes on. So they're not holding back. And the evidence they would have taken into account was limited trials, very potent if, uh, evidence from of waning from Britain, particularly Public Health England and the Israelis, and the Israelis really finding a turnaround in their surge in hospitalizations with the institution of their population-wide booster program. I think Israel is very influential in this of the data from Israel, very influential in this debate. I really like the idea of this room of people who really, really know what they're talking about, really thrashing it out and and then coming coming away with a consensus that is to protect all of Australia. Yep. I feel very comforted by that. It's a huge responsibility. So like I said, we've got stacks of questions, uh, including Amanda and Jessica are both pretty much asking, does it matter which vaccine you get for your booster dose? Or is one better than the other? Yeah. Well, at the moment, only Pfizer's approved. <laughs> Pfizer's the best one uh, for Australians. <laughs> There has been a comparison of uh, trial comparing um, the, the vaccines, so same vaccine for third dose versus varying it. And what they showed was that, by and large, mixing the doses, uh, so if you put Astra, putting Pfizer there, Pfizer giving Moderna. Interestingly, in that study, giving Moderna as a third dose, if you'd had Moderna as the two before, was probably a bit better than Pfizer on top of Moderna. So mixing the doses does work. Pauline's asking about timing. She's saying, we're able to get a booster shot, however, are wondering, given the waning effectiveness, whether they should wait till the winter to get the booster jo- uh, the booster dose alongside the flu jab. I think that, well, I, I can't give people individual advice. Um, I can only say what I'll do is that as soon as I'm eligible for the booster, I'm going to have it. I'm not going to wait in the same way as, as a, you know, Corona has by and large has said to people, get the vaccine now, don't wait, because there's going to be a lot of coronavirus circulating in Australia in the weeks and months to come. And don't think that the vaccine is going to reduce things a lot. There's going to be a lot of virus around and you want to be well covered. And Chloe's making a point about the morality of giving booster shots in a global context. Yes, okay, immunity might wane a little, but millions of people across the world haven't had one shot. Chloe says, not only is it outrageous Australian entitlement, but surely we're just going to breed more infectious and deadly variants by letting this virus continue to spread in completely unvaccinated populations. It's a fair point. However, as we've said before, these aren't really gratuitous boosters. They are almost certainly the third dose of what should have been a three dose, what's called primary schedule. And it's just that we didn't have time to get that sort of information in the trials last year. So I think that really the world is coming to the conclusion in many, many countries that what you need for full immunization is three doses. And that's what low-income countries will need as well. And so what it means is that when you're allocating vaccine to low-income countries, you should be allocating three doses. And you've got time to give the first two doses, get that done, and wait a while before you give the third dose. But it does mean the need is greater. And our need is there as well. We're going to get a surge, and we're going to get a surge in hospitalization in in, uh, compromised individuals or elderly people, and we need to cover them. We can't leave them vulnerable because that's going to shut us down again. But what's Australia's responsibility on the global stage? Our responsibility is to provide money. It's to provide vaccine. We can provide AstraZeneca through our manufacturing facility. And we can provide technical support in terms of implementing vaccines so that you're not just shipping vaccines to sub-Saharan Africa or a poorly resourced country, you're actually giving them resources or helping them resource implementing the vaccine. Because that's there's no point in having vaccines sitting in the dock 
in a container, in a refrigerated container. You've got to get it out to the people. And that requires money and resources. Well, good on you for bringing it up, Chloe. And Norman, it's a weekly almost uh, occurrence that at least someone in our uh, comments and questions section asks about your gym habits. Uh, They're weirdly obsessed with it. And there was news yesterday that there have been people catching COVID at the gym. How how are you feeling about that? Well, I don't feel any schadenfreude. I'm I'm sorry to hear that there's been spread in the gym. There's been quite a big outbreak in one particular gym in Sydney. And uh, so I'm just I'm just hanging out there. I'm sticking with my weight at home here, my single weight. Remember the one was Nick's, so I've only got one weight at the moment. But um, you know, so I'll be a bit lopsided um, before I get back to the gym. Just one huge arm. I mean, there there are a growing number of outbreaks in Australia, which you're not hearing too much about, in fully vaccinated people, and this is the breakthrough infection phenomenon. And people are not getting sick, which is the benefit of the vaccine. But it is a source, particularly before we immunise young kids, it is a source of infection to the unvaccinated population. So I just think, hang in there. I mean, bars are another source and there's been outbreak in bars. And I think another meatworks in Melbourne is affected at the moment, again, in a fully vaccinated population. So this is a, this is a phenomenon of breakthrough, breakthrough infections, which can spread to other people, even though it doesn't do you much harm at all because you're fully vaccinated. Yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't um, focus too much on gyms, but people seem so obsessed with your um, your fitness journey, Norman, that I just had to bring it up. Yeah, you know, it's just my denied pets. Really. <laughs> um, well, here's a story, a really lovely story that's come through that I hope gives people um, hope when they're talking to the people that they love about vaccination. Aurora has written in saying that her Victorian-based mum was hesitant about having the AstraZeneca vaccine. She's 74. She had had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she, Aurora just couldn't bear the idea of her surviving such an awful cancer only to succumb to COVID. And Aurora sent her a couple of episodes of Coronacast to listen to and she got vaccinated. And in August, she was told there was a nodule on her lung, uh, which was recommended to, she, that she had chemotherapy for. And so she she had to go into hospital. It was all a bit scary. And she was actually exposed to an unvaccinated person who ended up t- testing positive. But Aurora says she's really happy to report that after isolation and many COVID tests, she is clear and able to resume her chemo. And Aurora just says, thank you for the part you played in getting her vaccinated. Without it, I'm sure she would have got very sick indeed. Fantastic story. Thank you very much for that. And your mum is doing fabulously, being six years out from her initial diagnosis. That's fantastic news. Not to pat ourselves on the back too much, Norman, but what I really take away from that is the fact that people can change their mind and it's okay for people to change their mind about vaccination. So we have people writing in all the time about how frustrated they get with their friends and family who don't want to be vaccinated. And I do think that a gentle, loving approach to talking to the people that you love about vaccination is the way to go and to allow people some space to change their mind and come and come to it themselves. That's right. I think some, I mean, there are some groups who need to have it mandated, but for a lot of people, patience is important and people are coming through in very large numbers. Somebody told me the other day that in some Aboriginal communities, in the Aboriginal medical services, that patience pays off and sometimes it takes six conversations, six conversations to get people over the line for their immunisation, but then they do go over the line. So it's it's worth the effort. Um, every single person counts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you've got questions and comments, do send them to abc.net.au slash coronacast and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you Monday. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> 